0: Welcome back to Financial Matters with Richard Oring. I am John Jagay. Rich, great to be back with you.
1: It is great to be back. There has been so much going on. What I want to talk about during this podcast is what we learned through the halfway point of 2020.
0: Yeah, we're start- sitting here on June 5th. It's crazy to think the year is almost halfway over. And we're going to hit about some financial stuff a little bit later on. But let's first zoom out to that 30,000 foot view. A lot has happened, would be the understatement of the year, quite literally. Where do you want to start?
1: Well, Jack, it's amazing that we're still, I would say at least half the country is still quarantined in their homes Mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania. They've been gradually changing people from red zone to a yellow zone. Okay. I live outside of Philadelphia. I'm still in the red zone. Hopefully, actually, as of this morning, the governor is supposed to switch us to yellow, even though... He's not excited about doing it. It's a different world out there right now for us, you know, communicating with our friends and neighbors, socializing, trying to the best we can, you know, Zoom cocktail parties now. Been there, yep. Hey, Jack, what's really amazing is that we learned how to live without things. Yeah. Not on purpose. I mean, let's think about it. Flour, yeast, toilet paper, paper towels, cleaning chemicals. Then we had shortage of meat. It was amazing. I got so many phone calls from my friends for a couple of reasons. I don't know if you know this, but I used to be a professional chef. I did not know that. Okay. Yes. Yes. Chef on a cruise line, Grand Collection Hotel years and years ago, years ago. So I post pictures a lot of times of things I cook with myself or my family and the kids. So I have a reputation in my neighborhood of being a very good cook. I've, I've actually done cooking classes for our community. Oh, cool. When I was posting breads, people were like, how the hell did you make that? So I started talking. I'm like, you know, you go back to the basics. I start buying wheat berries, hard wheat berries, grind them myself, made my own flour. I never ran out of yeast um because i have i always have about 3 to 5 pounds of yeast in my house uh-huh. so i started rationing yeast to other people but <laughs> a lot of my breads are sourdough breads you don't use yeast to make sourdough so i started teaching people how to cook or bake without ingredients they're used to getting and then i started telling other people like think out of the box go to the bakeryauthority.com buy flour 50 pounds a bag at a time, share it with a friend. You know, it, it was funny, my neighbors would walk by and I had this like 50 pound bag of flour on my driveway and I'm not opening that in my house.
0: So I'm there
1: <laughs> on my driveway, putting it into like two and a half gallon Ziploc bags, flowers going in the air. It was great, it was fun. People were like, oh, <laughs>
0: can I get some? <laughs> I feel like it's that uh, like that TV show Chopped where they say here's your basket you've got four random ingredients make it work and I feel like sometimes we got this well look at my wife well we got a bag of frozen broccoli in the freezer we've got a pound of ground turkey and we got portobello mushrooms yeah that'll work that'll work for dinner tonight just kind of mix and match and make it make it work
1: so I actually was an apprentice of the US Corner Olympic team oh wow okay and a lot of the chefs would actually do regional food competitions, food shows. Mm -hmm. And it's very high pressure. The rewards they get and the prestige they get is really big. And they always are mystery baskets. You have no idea what ingredients you're going to get. So I remember I worked under um, Chef Livingstein up in Providence, Rhode Island. And he always said, you're always going to get flour and water. Figure you're making a pasta dish. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. So, Jack, let's move on from the food. Let's not forget the medical supply shortages. We had ventilators, face masks, gloves, sanitizer. I mean, even electronics right now. If you wanted to buy certain um, microphones like we use, they're on back order because people are at home and figure, hey, I want to start a podcast. Might as well do it now. Yep. It is truly amazing on the medical supplies. You know, we watch the news. We saw that um, people were bashing the the U.S. government for not releasing them. Um, eventually, you know, they had to allocate to different states. But now the states are transferring their ventilators when their coronaviruses go down to other states. Countries have lent ventilators. It's amazing. Face Max, I have a friend who, um, unfortunately, in his job, is affected right now because of coronavirus. So. He reached out to a face mask company, and he's selling them. He hands them out for free and says, if you want to buy more, go on this website. And it's a fair markup. He's not gouging anyone. Yeah. There's a demand for face masks, so he started a business doing it. Crap. St. John, Louis Vuitton are selling face
0: masks. At forty sixty dollars a pop now, <laughs> I've seen that, and I think you know, you know there are there are some who are taking advantage of the situation, but then there are some like your buddy who you got to adapt to survive. It's Darwinism. He's out of his work job right now, so he's going to find another way to make money and do it in a reasonable way. It can also help some people. Why not? Right. You know, I buy the chemicals
1: to clean my car, yeah, online from a company called Adams um, Polish, mm-hmm. and I was surprised. They are now selling sanitizer for home. They actually started a home, household product line. They have stuff for your countertops to clean and um, uh, seal them. Mm -hmm. They got the sanitizer. It's pretty cool to see how companies are diversifying their product lines um, for today's needs.
0: Yeah, we actually have uh, here in uh, the Detroit suburbs here in Michigan, there's actually a really good uh, brewery just down the street from us. So not only do they have like, you know, curbside pickup for growlers and some produce that they partnered with somebody local on too, but they're making hand sanitizer by the gallon from the alcohol that they're uh, not using as much for to make spirits anymore. So people really are adapting in these times.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, when the sanitizer shortage came out, my wife's like, oh my God, what are we going to do? I'm like, Rach, are you serious? It's sanitizer. All you have to do is take a bottle, a drop or two of bleach. You get these little test strips. That's how restaurants do it. They fill sinks up, they drop a little bleach, and then they measure the balance. And then I said, "But like Jack, I don't know if you know this, but I actually make beer." Okay. So I said, "You do know that I have spray bottles filled with sanitizer? They sell a product called Star Stan. It's an acid-based food sanitizer, meaning you don't have to rinse it. It's it's edible." Oh wow! Okay. And. I would say it it takes about one ounce or two ounces of this stuff to make five gallons of sanitizer water. Hmm. And it comes in like a quart-sized bottle. There you go. Out of the
0: box, look at what you have. There's other ways to get products besides going to the grocery on the shelves. You know, they say the worst times sometimes bring out the best in people. And we really have seen nationwide people really coming up with great ideas to not only to survive themselves, both, Medically and financially, but ways to help out their fellow Americans too. Yeah.
1: But, you know, you you said that, but I thought you were going to go somewhere else. You know, I want to mention, I think I have to. Let's start off with last year. It amazes me that we saw so many hate crimes across our country. Mm. They were targeted at churches and mosques and synagogues. Yeah. But the one thing that is truly amazing with all that negative hate crime issues is that Americans from all faiths, different communities came together to help rebuild the religious buildings, Mm -hmm. help protect the right of free prayer, and to educate others that there is no place for hate crimes. Yeah. The thing is what's sad is as we know, history repeats itself Mm -hmm. and we haven't learned from the past to this day. The largest amount of hate crimes is still directed to the black communities in America. Mm. You would think after witnessing the riots in 1992 in Los Angeles, after the four police officers were acquitted for using excess force on Rodney King, we would learn to be kinder. Now, 28 years later from the LA riots, we're still witnessing riots across the whole country regarding the excess force from the police officers which resulted in the death of George Floyd. And again, we're seeing communities also coming together, peacefully
0: gathering to support change. It really is something to think about it, Rich. I mean, I, you know, I'm a little bit younger than you. I'll be 40 this year. I was 12 in 1992 when the Rodney King thing happened. And I don't think I quite grasped the gravity of the situation at the time. And now here we are almost three decades later. Like you said, history is repeating itself.
1: It's interesting. With three young boys, my kids are confused. They don't understand why there would be hatred to anybody. Yeah. like They don't understand why the police would use excess force because of your skin color. They just don't get it. And that's a hard conversation to talk to your kids about how
0: some people just hate. I've seen a number of, uh, you know, network news specials and and I'm not going to pretend to understand what it's like to be a black American in this country, but they've talked about what's called the talk where parents of black kids have to tell them at age nine or 10, whatever it is, you have to be careful when you're out and about or if you have an interaction with a police officer because of the color of your skin. And it's really eye opening to hear that from parents to say, yeah, it's a thing. We have to have this talk with our kids.
1: You know, I said hate, I want to be careful because there's a difference between hate and not understanding, putting yourself in someone else's shoes and Mm -hmm. you can have fear of an unknown of what you don't understand Mm -hmm. so it could be hate or not understanding fear, I don't know as you said, I can't put myself in that position you know, our country is so diverse yeah you know, I grew up in a community where I never saw hatred like I'm Jewish, Jack. I never saw anti-Semitism till I went to college. I didn't understand the, the, the talk my parents had when I was a kid about it until I was in college. And luckily they had those
0: conversations because I was equipped how to handle it. And, you know, I'm Jewish, my wife is Jewish, and I was not aware of rampant anti-Semitism until recently. And my wife, who I always say, marry up, marry someone smarter than you, I certainly did. My wife always has told me, it's been there. You just haven't seen it. It's just been there below the surface. And I hate to say it, she's right. And I think an important point to mention here, Rich, is, you know, the conversation that we're having is a difficult conversation, and... Even if we don't say everything exactly the way it should be said or understand things the way they should be said, the point is to start the dialogue and have the conversation and try to get a better overall understanding.
1: So, I'm gonna share something about myself, not proud of. Mm-hmm. I was brought up where I always heard like my mom talking about the negative in someone like, can you believe mm-hmm. they did that? Can you believe they bought that? So I grew up that way, and I think I had that same thought process. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at the negatives before you say, wow, they're beautiful people. So my wife brought this to my attention, and she taught me something so special, and that is people are not perfect but are still beautiful even with all their faults. Yeah. And then, like, to nail it home, last year I heard a speech – It was given by a rabbi. His name is Rabbi Shumtov, who's um, very big in the Lubavitch community. He's the executor director of the Lubavitch in Newtown, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And he was doing a fundraiser. um, He's actually starting a nonprofit to help the loved ones who are dealing with drug-addictive family members. Mm -hmm. So he said, if you can find a small sliver of good in somebody... Even if it only represents 10% of that person, then grab it, embrace it, this individual, because that sliver of good can only grow to be larger. And after hearing that speech and witnessing my wife see life as a happy place, it has encouraged me to look at people with a new set of eyes. So I want to thank both Rabbi Shamtov and my wife, making me more understanding of people's imperfections. I can only pray that others in the world are more accepting of others and can find themselves stop hating judging take that negative energy and make it into a positive one by supporting listening and loving each other.
0: I'll come back with two other quick pieces of advice that I've been given over the years and that's my uncle who taught me be kind because everybody you meet is fighting a hard battle. And then there's the Confucius quote about there's a reason that we have two ears and only one mouth. <laughs> That's good. So, Rich, you're a financial advisor. The name of the show is Financial Matters. And we would be remiss if we didn't cover all these larger issues that we've talked about in the first half of our show here. But let's take a look deeper into the financial piece of it and what we've learned and where we are as we approach the halfway point of 2020. Sure. I think what we learned is markets
1: go up, markets go down. Uh-huh. Trying to time them doesn't always work for the majority of us. When this all started happening, I was getting phone calls all day. Yeah. And clients wanted to know what to do. I said, what do you mean what to do? I said, when I sat down with you, I built a portfolio. I showed you what it's going to do in the up markets. And I showed you what it's going to do on the down markets. You know, we back tested it. And, you know, I manage on what they call maximum drawdowns. Okay. So I try not to lose as much when the markets are going down. I said, don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Don't do anything. Let it ride out. We did the planning ahead of time for this. I guess we would have been foolish of us if we built this portfolio thinking that it's only going to go up every year. Now the time is to stick to our guns. Remember that graph I showed you. Are you willing to make 20 to lose 12? Yeah. You know, it's time to stick to our guns and ride the roller coaster. I only had one client who made a change and that was like after five phone calls. <laughs> and I gotta tell you, that one portfolio is probably one of the worst performing ones because trying
0: to time the market. You gotta time it twice when to get out and when to go back in. It's hard to time it right once, never mind twice. Right. And I think I- you bring up a really good point there, Rich, which is that I think a lot of us have been spoiled because the market had been going up for the better part of a decade before all this happened. And you really have to come back to the fact that you have to have a plan. The plan anticipates market volatility and markets going down like we've seen right now. I think people have short memories and forget that at some point the market does go down regardless of coronavirus or whatever the cause is. And if you've planned for it, you're able to ride it out because you have started that from the jump when you've created the plan.
1: Yep. You know, it's it's interesting. The fourth quarter of 2018, the market dropped double digits and people didn't call me. No one was freaking out. I mean, now before the market was even down 10%, people were freaking out and going crazy. So again, it's going to go up. It's going to go down. If you built your portfolio based upon your short and long-term goals, you'll be okay. So let's talk about goals, because that's the Mm -hmm. other thing I see people um, didn't do. Usually, you'll set up short-term, intermediate, and long-term goals, and those have to be reassessed. Yeah. You know, usually short-term, you're going to be in safe investments and things like that, because you need to have liquidity. So some people who are in bonds lost money. Yes, safe investments, which you think are safe asset classes, can still lose money. But the bigger issue is the long-term goals. I couldn't believe I got a referral from someone and he had a 401k plan and he wants to retire in the next two years. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at his 401k plan and I'm like, when was the last time you looked at it and reallocated it? He's like, I haven't changed it since I started it up like 20 years ago. Ooh. so a goal you set up for long-term needs to be a because that long-term goal isn't long-term anymore. Right.
0: So I was shocked to see some of that. I think there are sometimes, Rich, there are people who, seeing a financial advisor and creating a plan, it's like checking the box. It's like, all right, I got to go plan for retirement. Okay, I had my meeting. I'm done. I checked the box. But what a lot of people don't realize is You have to be continuously reevaluating it as conditions change. Have your basic plan, but know that sometimes you've got to rebalance and reallocate and do those things. And that's why it's an ongoing conversation that you have with your clients. Yep.
1: You know, it's amazing. I got a lot of new business during this time period. People are learning they can't do it themselves and they want to know advice. And there is three individuals I'm thinking of where I spent a lot of time on the phone showing them. And I didn't give them the answer and, you know, the whole plan, but enough. And then they disappear because the market comes better. <laughs> so I sent emails out, you know, let me know where you stand. If you don't want to do anything, that's fine. If you do, we got to go forward. Of the three people, one person responded back. Did didn't even have the courtesy to email me back and let me know what they want to do? In modern day terms, they ghosted you. Yeah. And it's shocking because... These aren't like people I just got from Google searches. These are referrals. These like, I know their neighbor, their friends. Yeah. I've been working with for years. So it's going to be awkward one day when I'm at my client's house for a Christmas <laughs> party. And there you are who ignored me. And yeah. I know all your personal stuff
0: anyway. <laughs> hey, how's that portfolio that you forgot to ask me about uh, in the tank or what? Yeah.
1: It's crazy.
0: So the other things I've seen is
1: people not understanding interest rates. Uh-huh. You know, there's a difference between lending and borrowing. Yes. When you're lending, meaning you're a bond holder, interest rates go down, bond prices go up, uh-huh. but when interest rates go up, bond prices go down. hmm uh-huh. I know we had drops in interest rates, but they were so low and the bond market didn't um, react what people expected. And it wasn't that bond market didn't react. It was different bond assets types. You have mortgage back, municipal, corporate, high yield. So they had to reassess what fixed income they were invested in based on interest rates. So I Mm -hmm. saw a lot of portfolios people reviewing or 401 Ks and not reallocating the bond side of it on today's market conditions. Same thing, equities, you know, if you look at the equity market, what really is getting killed and I'm talking about large cap, if we're looking at the S and P 500 stuff, it's the value side, it's the financials, the utilities, you know, oil and stuff like that. The growth side is positive.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, it's amazing. So, Having the insight and looking at trends of asset classes is very important right now, especially um, during this crazy time we see in 2020. Yeah. When it comes to borrowing, low interest rates are great. I mean, people are refinancing right now, credit oh, card yeah. loans, auto loans. Um, I bought a new car, I think, in February or January. I bought it like a month or two or two early. Ah, uh, yep. Think thinking about refinancing it. <laughs> Why not? Banks, you know, the CDs are low now. So that's going to hurt people who are living on fixed income. But you definitely want to look for ways to lower the interest you're paying. And this is a great opportunity to talk about that. For sure. Here's the other thing. I was talking to my wife this morning before we were going to get on this to record, um, Jag. And, you know, I always get her input of the bullet points we're going to talk about. And I mentioned that as much as I talk to people having a three month to six month emergency slush fund, because yes. you never know when your roof is going to need to be replaced. You're going to lose your job. Something unexpected could happen or will happen eventually. And you need to be prepared because the last thing you want to do is have a trickle down effect. You don't have the money. You put it on the credit card. You're still unemployed for three months. Now you're putting everything else on the credit card. And that interest rate is compounding and it's a nightmare. Right. So now you go back to work. Finally, you're not contributing to a 401k because you're trying to knock down that credit card debt, which
0: might take years to do. I've been there. I know. And I think that goes to a point we've talked about before, Rich, which is you know, for all the talk we do about investing and where to put your money and moving money around, having that emergency fund of three to six months of living expenses should be one of, if not your top priorities.
1: Yep. And then what's even crazier is I've actually had people call me who aren't affected as their income from the coronavirus. Rich, do you think I should stop putting money into my 401k? Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) no. And it always amazes me. I'm like- I think I said it before, you're going to go buy a winter coat. So you go to the store and it's on sale. You're like, crap, I'll come back when it's not on sale. Can't be good when it's on sale. So I remind them when the market's down, these are the same companies you owned before. Coca-Cola, Home Depot, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon. You think they're going under, or maybe (laughs) you think you could buy more shares on sale. And then, The second thing I remind them is your income's not down. By putting money into your 401k, you're deferring that income into a retirement plan. Overall, that might keep you at a lower tax bracket. Mm -hmm. By stop doing that, you might be giving it to Uncle Sam instead.
0: And on the flip side, I know folks that have uh, have looked into Roths and paying the taxes on it now as opposed to later on.
1: Right. I mean, right now we have such low tax rates, historically low tax rates. Might as well take
0: advantage of it for the future. I can only see tax rates in the future going up. Sure. We can't say that for sure, but we can make a pretty educated guess here, and that's what it appears is going to happen.
1: You know, the the other thing um, I think we've learned, well, hopefully people have learned, is when the government comes out with stimulus packages, especially business owners... You got to stop running your business everyday operations to look what's available. I spoke to so many business owners, and at first, they weren't even going to apply for that payroll protection program. The PPP, yeah. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Just the other day, I had an electrician walking around my house doing a proposal for me. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, how was business during this? He's like, I was slow. A lot of our commercial business but our residential, you know, some of it has picked up. So I was like, well, good thing is that payroll protection loan program came out and he's like, yeah, I didn't do it. I was like, wait, what do you mean you didn't? He goes, I don't trust the government. Ugh. I'm not a conspiracy person, but I don't trust the government. I'm like, well, you could have took the money if you needed it and not used it until it was forgiven. He's like, "No," nah. but he's not the only one. I've talked to other business owners And they were like, it looked too complicated, the paperwork. They keep changing the rules. I was shocked. And then the really interesting thing is they really haven't come out with it, but normally a forgivable loan is taxable income. Uh So for businesses who haven't lost revenue and still making payroll on current revenue and took the loan money is going to have to pick up additional taxable income when that's forgiven. It's not like it's being offset with paying payroll without the income. I didn't know that. That's an interesting aspect of this whole thing. Yeah. I'm hoping the IRS might change that, but I can't um, imagine they would because those who took the loan who really, really needed it, it offsets when you're paying the payroll without the income. So it's a wash.
0: Yeah, and I think the important point and the important takeaway here, Rich, is regardless of political affiliation, if you're left or right or like this party, don't like this party, like the government, don't like the government, don't trust the government, whatever it is, the point of everything from the SECURE Act and the CARES Act and all the stuff that's happened in 2020 is – they know that a lot of Americans are financially hurting right now and are in real trouble. And the goal is to give people money so that they can still survive and their businesses can survive. Why not take advantage of that? Put your politics aside. Right. One of my friends was so upset. You know, it depends on where you live. He's
1: making very good money. Mm-hmm. Like I'm talking about two hundred plus mm-hmm. and they dropped his salary to half because his industry's cut out right now. Yeah. And he's complaining, and his wife makes good money too, that he's not going to get a stimulus check for the 1200 for each person. And I was like, you shouldn't need it. Yeah. And he's like, what do you mean? I go, it wasn't intended for you. He goes, why not? I go, what do you think the average household income in this country is? He was like, like 125 175 I was like, it's in the 60s. Husband and wife supporting a family – is in the sixties it's just you live outside New York City in a bubble in a bubble, not realizing what everyone else is making in this country. you know it's like trying to find an apartment for a thousand dollars in l a <laughs> You're not gonna do it, you know thousand dollars in strawberry, Tennessee, yeah you could probably find a place
0: for $1,000. Probably a luxury apartment there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, so your point is well taken. There's both sides. There's the people who don't want to take the money and the people who are just woefully out of touch with how many people are struggling right now. And I want to go back. You've heard me
1: say this in previous podcasts. Look, you could do things yourself, but there's times when you have to hire a professional. Yeah. I called my buddy who's a CPA. I was like, dude, you must love that they extended tax season to July 15th. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to have a tax practice I sold in 2011. Yeah. So I knew what it was like, you know, tax season really didn't start till middle of February because investment companies keep posting the 1099s later and later. Yeah, yeah. Corrected ones. So you get jammed middle of February till April 15th. I was like, you must love it. I mean, do a few returns a year, have dinner, hang out on the weekends. <laughs> He's like, are you kidding me? I'm getting so many phone calls Mm. on where's my stimulus check? How do I apply for that payroll protection? How do I apply for the forgiveness? So going back to what I said before, when people aren't taking advantage of the government stimulus programs because they don't understand them, working with a professional asking
0: the questions might have helped you get through this difficult time a little bit easier. And with that in mind, if you need help with your personal finances, you should talk to a professional like Rich. What are the best ways to find you, sir? Always. You can call me at
1: 609-924-2049, extension 126. You can go to my website at www.ncfg.com. There's even a way on my website to schedule an appointment, being through the phone uh, we can't do face to face right now, but we can always do Zoom. Mm-hmm. You know, as I said last podcast, you need to ask some questions right now. Call me; I'll do a complimentary.
0: We got to help each other out to get through this difficult time. With apologies to Radio Shack, people have questions and you have answers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I'm shocked is for those who um, are in financial hardship, I'm surprised that people haven't called their credit card. Companies, The mortgage company, you know, even before this ever happened, if I had a client out of work and they said to me, hey, I can't afford everything. I was like, look, swallow your pride, call the companies and be honest. A lot of like your car loans, they'll take the current one or two payments and roll them to the back of the loan. So you don't have to make the next two mortgage companies will do it. Credit cards. But you see the news telling you that during the coronavirus, the banks are going to work with you. So the last thing you want to do is not be honest, not taking advantage of what the banks are offering, because if you hurt your credit card now,
0: it's going to cost you later when you need to get a loan for something at higher interest rates. And I think that's an important point to close on is just be honest. A lot of people are struggling right now. If you call your car loan people or your credit card people, you'd be surprised. You know, there's no guarantee, but you'd be surprised what a lot of people are willing to do for you if you just be honest about your situation.
1: Jack, I know that um, we're, we try to keep our time to a certain point. I just want to close off on a few bullet points, if that's okay. Absolutely. These are the, what I want people to do, unemployed or unemployed. For short term, if you're unemployed, get your resume ready. Go to your social media, your Facebook. Take off all the embarrassing posts of you drunk with your shirt off, passed out (laughs) in your front lawn, and the beer cans all scattered. Employers are looking at social media to see how you handle yourself outside work. Absolutely. Update your LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing you can do is network, 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 network. Ask your friends, your colleagues. I get people asking me all the time, do you have any connections with certain companies? And I can't tell you how many interviews I got people getting in the door for an interview is the hardest part. So take advantage of that. If you, if you want to work for Putnam Investments or Invisco, ask your parents, your own financial advisor, if they know anyone, just like the radio industry, I'm sure.
0: Absolutely. And, and I'll, to that point, I'll say that, you know, when I was uh, unemployed for a time in between my radio career and my podcasting career, I was slogging through a hundred different one-click applies on LinkedIn and all that. And they say that if you are applying to a job where you don't know anybody, your chances of getting in the door are probably about 1%. If you know somebody or somebody can make an introduction for you, they are much higher. And if you're looking for work right now, that is something that we cannot stress enough.
1: Yeah, I mean, businesses like myself, a professional, we help each other out. Yes. I give a company business. I know them. They don't want to get me upset. So when I hand them a resume, they're going to entertain and at least bring that person in. At least they got that step in the door to try to prove in themselves
0: and get the job. And delete those pictures so that you don't harm yourself once you get in the door.
1: I don't care if this is retirement planning, short-term, long-term goals. Number one thing in financial planning is increasing your cash flow for your house. So pay off credit card debts, try to get them on lower interest rates if you can't. If you're a renter and you're looking to buy a house, this might be the time. Interest rates are at an all-time low. See if it makes sense to refinance your 30-year mortgage which you're 25 years in, maybe to a 15-year mortgage. Maybe you could shave off a few years, lots of years, and almost have the same payment. Reduce your Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber Eats. Learn how to cook. Eat leftovers, which I hate, but I'm still eating leftovers right now.
0: And Rich will come to your house and teach you how to cook. No, just kidding. Just kidding.
1: <laughs> Try to wave to a neighbor you don't know when you're going for your walk. You may not notice, but they're smiling under their masks. My kids and my wife and I, we did a lot of home projects. We normally would hire someone to do. We probably saved over $2,000 by doing
0: these projects ourselves. Be surprised you can learn on YouTube.
1: Yep. So Jack, I want to say one last thing and then we're going to end this podcast and I'll hand it off to you for all that fun disclosure stuff. First off, I hope that everyone enjoyed this episode of my podcast. I hope you will create short and long-term goals But more important, we need to learn acceptance of everyone, not caring what their race, religion, education, or the little quirks they might have, because everyone is beautiful, and this world could only be better with love and no coronavirus.
0: Well said, Rich. Pleasure to talk to you as always, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Richard Waring's branch office is One Airport Place, Princeton, New Jersey, 08540. The branch phone number is 609-924-2049. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor not affiliated with Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. New Century Financial Group, LLC, and Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. does not offer tax advice or tax services. Please consult your tax specialist for individual advice. We make no specific comments or recommendations on any tax-related details.